We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Tanya Ladipo. She's the founder and CEO of the Ladipo Group LLC, licensed social worker, and the visionary behind the Philadelphia region's only therapy, counseling, and diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting practice, specializing in serving Black and African American communities. What I appreciate most about you, Tanya, and there's a long list of things that I appreciate, is your willingness to help us make behavior change. You say that knowledge is great and behavior change is better. So thank you for generously helping us to be better and welcome to ROG, Tanya. Thank you, Shannon. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you again. Likewise, me too. So let's hear a little bit about your background. Sure. Um... Let's see, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. Um, so I'm a city girl at heart. I was actually just reminiscing uh, growing up um, in the days of Michael Jordan and going to see the Chicago Bulls win championships was a big part of my childhood. Um, oh, wow. And then I went to college in Ohio for four years and then came to Philadelphia right after I graduated college um, with the idea. I had some friends coming. I was like, oh, I'll just go to Philly for a year because um, I need to be out of Chicago to really grow up and then I'll go back home. So 20 plus years later, I'm still here in Philadelphia (laughs) as life happens differently than we planned, Um, Mm -hmm. completely differently than we planned. Um, And so, you know, my life is certainly, I think it's grander than I could have even envisioned. I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have kids. Um, I got married. I had two, I had identical twin daughters. Um, I never wanted to be a business owner. I own a business. Um, <laughs> I remember once I never wanted to supervise people. Now I, oh, I here we go. Right. So, <laughs> uh, life has certainly, um, gone differently than, than I expected it to go. No doubt. What did you want to do? Um, I wanted to go back to school and get my doctorate in psychology. And I wanted to Mm -hmm. do research um, about sexual assault survivors because my first job in Philadelphia, I was working with survivors of sexual assault. And and I did some research on that in college, too. Um, But during my first job, I realized I actually like working with people, like being in communication and contact with people more than the idea of research. And I'm an introvert by nature. So I think research felt really, for me, felt really safe and mm -hmm. quiet. Um, And so I kind of surprised myself realizing like, oh, actually, like, I like engaging with people. Um, And so that shifted, that started to shift my trajectory and not wanting to do research, Mm -hmm. but wanting to work with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Thank God. I mean, really... I mean, not that your research wouldn't have been remarkable and helpful, but I think the I think your gifts, the way that you share them so generously, and I mean that wholeheartedly, um, you give us tools and insights and inspiration. And then you also, I think, have a gift of not being judgmental. And everyone who's listening needs to follow you on all your socials. But I, the, you had a post recently on Instagram, and it was empathy with like a balloon, and then it was judgment with an anchor. 
right? And I just think that says so much about you and just how we can be good humans and, you know, be good community members of being like empathetic and connected to others. So just grateful for you. Thank you. Oh, Shannon, yeah, thank you. I mean that. Um, it's definitely um, practice. I am not judgment free <laughs> <laughs> because I am human. Right. I am not judgment free. And it's, it's a practice, you know, my, some of my personal values are, are kindness um, and courage. Uh -huh. um, and so I say kindness in when I am feeling judgmental or even being judgmental coming back to like, but kindness is more important uh -huh. to you. So what do you have to do to shift, to yeah, shift this? Absolutely. And you catch yourself, right? I think that's I what I do too. Yes. It's like, you know, I'll catch myself kind of going into that, making up the story about another, mm -hmm. or about myself is, is where I'm really gifted at of making a, a really juicy story about, you know, the villain yeah. that I am. Um, and, but, you know, catching myself and saying, okay, if I were being self-compassionate, how would I change the narrative on that? Yeah. So for years, you were working in the community and mental health agencies and helping people. And one of the things that you identified was that this one size fits all approach just was not really serving the need that it actually ignored the needs of the black and African-American people that you were seeing served. I'm curious to learn what were some of the patterns and problems that you identified? I saw two kind of significant ways in the kind of nonprofit community mental health agencies I was working at. Um, one is if I was in a place that really delivered great services, like the therapists were great, the supervision was great, the, the processes were great. Like if it was a really strong organization, it felt, I was noticing the clientele was all white, <laughs> predominantly white. And so the people who were receiving the great services, as they should receive great services, it was only a segment of the population. And that bothered me. I thought, well, black people want, you know, want and deserve this too, as do other people, not just black folk. Yeah. But um, yeah. as a black woman, that's who I was kind of in my mind and who I was thinking about. And, and then there would be other organizations that might predominantly service black and African-American mm -hmm. people. And I noticed that the facilities didn't look good. They were dirty. People had to wait a long time. The services weren't that mm -hmm. great. I remember once coming in on a weekend, painting my office a bright yellow. And people were like, why are you doing that? You don't, you know, you're, they're not gonna pay you for the paint. You're not paying, getting paid for your time. And I was like, I, I went to Ikea and I got like, you know, really inexpensive, but cute things for my office. Um, and, you know, I was in my 20s. So this, you know, I was going into my own paycheck <laughs> because the clients deserved nice things and the organizations weren't providing mm -hmm. it. And so at least when you come into my office, at least our little space can, can be mm -hmm. nice. And so the different, and in it wasn't one person, it wasn't one organization, but like what I was noticing is that yeah. black people were not being treated well um, in terms of giving, getting great services. Either they were getting poor services or they weren't getting good services mm -hmm. uh, or they weren't, I'm sorry, they weren't getting services. And when I spoke to leadership, 
in various organizations, nobody seemed interested in changing it. Um, And finally, I remember thinking like, okay, I guess like I'm the common denominator here. That was my, that was my, that was my thinking Mm -hmm. at the time. Like I'm the one that has a problem. So rather than go somewhere else, let me just go on Mm -hmm. my own. And it wasn't even to build the company I have today. It was really, I was tired of hitting my head against the same brick wall. And I just couldn't, I just Mm -hmm. couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, years later, I realized the problem wasn't me, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, it sounds like as your work evolved and your connection with your patients and other caregivers, um, you started to recognize that it's not just in the mental health care space. This is like a perpetual problem. And now you're finding your greatest impact in the organizations where your clients work, right? Because you're saying that this is a a systemic problem. So tell me about that, like how that came to pass. So I started, when I was working with clients individually, what I was noticing is, so there was two um, stress points in their lives as kind of patterns, um, relationships and work. And so work, I just kept hearing about how often people were struggling with managers, being overlooked for promotions, being called the wrong name because there was only two black women in the group um, and always being called the other woman's name. And so I realized as much as I enjoyed doing therapy and I felt like I was really good at it, I remember coming to a point of realizing that this is a slow change for me. So not for the individual, right? Because the ripple effects... I think of therapy are great. It touches families and relationships. But for me, I was realizing like, I want to have a a wider reach, a a bigger impact. And so if we can actually be in organizations, helping them to make the environment great for Black people, which Mm -hmm. I'll come back to in a minute, I thought that was really going to be impactful, right? Black people, because I'm Black and I want to service, you know, my, my community, but also... Um, you know, there's a clip that Trevor Noah, uh, the comedian talks about this, which I, he does it so brilliantly. Um, black people historically in this country have been treated awfully and that continues today in Mm -hmm. different ways. And so when you are able to solve for the pain of the people who are experiencing the most harm, there are other people in organization who are also experiencing mm-hmm. harm. So if you solve those who are in the most pain, you're going to solve for those who are also mm-hmm. in pain. So there are also a lot of underrepresented groups in companies, whether it is race or gender, sexuality, right? There's a lot of people who are not getting mm-hmm. their needs met. Um, and again, if you solve for those in the most pain, everybody's pain right. is alleviated. That's so smart. So yeah, because I know that you talk about microaggressions and these instances of bias and discrimination and just being aware. And like that's why I really love what you're saying, that knowledge is great and that is the starting place for sure. But we're not really going to claim success or growth or really progress until we see behavior change and we see that those individuals and uh, you know anyone who is not being treated fairly is... It, like the the behavior changes there, the knowledge is there, and it's now manifesting itself in in a different culture, like a cultural reality. Yeah. So, what are some of the things like when you're working with organizations? What are some of the things that you look for, and what are some practical things that 
our listeners could apply to their own workplaces? Mm -hmm. So the first thing I look for is how willing are the people within the organizations, how willing are they to change? Um, And not do they know what to do, but are they willing to say, hey, maybe there's another way and I'm willing to try it. That to me Mm -hmm. is honestly half the battle. Willingness to change, willingness to do something different. Um, And then I think practically what resources are organizations putting in place, right? You have to have Mm -hmm. the the time and money. Both are really important resources, right? So making space for learning that is uncomfortable (laughs) um, and making space for people and outside consultants, but even people in the organization who are pressing for the change. I'll give a quick example. You know, there are always people in the organization who do more than they are paid to do. And to be able to recognize like, oh, you're doing your full-time job and you're trying to help push us forward in this way. So let's shift some of the, Mm -hmm. here's the time piece. Let's shift some of those responsibilities to somebody else so that we can pay you for some of the things you've already been doing. Um, so I, those are those are some of the things that that my team looks for, um, and then practically, I think there's things that leaders can do, but then also individual contributors can do as well. The first point I think is the hardest, mm-hmm. but being courageous. So learning, and as you're learning about other ways, there's a lot of humility I think that needs to come into play, because you know what, Shannon, you only know what you know. I only know what I know. Mm-hmm. And so to be told, but there are a lot of other ways of knowing that you aren't aware of or you haven't seen before, um, you have to be courageous enough to say, like, my way is not Mm -hmm. the only way. And um, we can do things differently here. And then to be willing to make mistakes because you're going to make a ton. Absolutely. And it, it just, to me, is so reflective of, I'm sure, the kind of therapy work that you do, right? Because there's like that acknowledging like where I am now, there's this awareness of there's another way to exist. And then there's like the willingness to like work your way over that gap or close that gap, right? And then when you're in yes. that new place, right, then there's like another gap, right? It's like, okay, so like, I think that's what growth and evolution is, <laughs> but uh, yes. I think that your experience working with people on those really deep personal things has got to help you when you're confronting these, you know, senior leaders and these big organizations to confront their own challenges and, you know, their own willingness to be humble, right? Yes. You know, I think kind of my background, what it, what it has done for me is I, I'm really quickly able mm-hmm. to see people as people, not, not roles, not positions, not like that's a CEO of a 200,000 employee company. Like yeah. that's a person <laughs> with their own story and their own struggles. And I, I tend to default that, you know, I think most of us in the world, like we're doing mm-hmm. the best we can. I think there's a way that I, I tend to be, and I am compassionate for people. So when we're talking about change, it can be easy to judge yourself and I'm, I'm just like, well, you, you didn't know, but now you know. And now that you know, let's do something about it, right? Um, but to not come at it from a, a judging, shameful place. Totally. Yeah, one of the favorite, my favorite things to say and try to remember is until today, like until today, 
I didn't know better. Or until today, it didn't occur to me that I should step in and I should have said something. Or until today, um, I wasn't as empathetic to the needs of this community or this individual. So it, and, but now I am. So tomorrow or later right. today, right? It's right. like now I need to be bigger. And it's, I think, like a comfort zone, right? Where it's like once you expand it, it stays that new size. So I hope awareness is that same yes. way. Yes. It's like you can't unlearn that sensitivity that you just gained. Um, but you're talking about people as people mm-hmm. would also make me think that you don't get starstruck as readily as maybe others. So it makes me think about a story that you shared with me about um, one of your favorite generosity stories. And it has oh, yes. to do with, <laughs> yeah. yeah, please share. Sure. <laughs> and I, I still do get starstruck. Um, <laughs> but one of my, one of my favorite memories of work and of this supervisor um, I was, I, I was a therapist working in an agency and my supervisor, like the, the door is already cracked open. So he like, you know, burst into my office. He knew it was, you know, open enough to do that. He burst into my office and he's like, Tanya, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, uh, paperwork. He's like, when's your next client? And I was like, eh, not, you know, it was like three hours away, you know, I had time. And he's like, come on, let's go. Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are shooting a movie around the corner. We're going to go watch it. And I was like, what? (laughs) This is my boss. This is my boss telling me to leave work so we can go watch a film being made. And I'm I'm like, we're not in the film industry. You're like, what what is this? And so we did. We went and we, we like walked a block and we watched them shoot a scene. And we were there for like, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour. And we were having fun and giggling and looking at them. And the, the lessons from that were, were so deep. I mean, literally that was 20 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday because the fun, especially when you're in work, that's not fun. Mm-hmm. To like create those magic moments of fun uh, yep. always stayed with me. I think, but, but, but his, his trust mm-hmm. in me is what that highlighted. His trust that if I had something to do, I would not go. So he could trust that he could ask me to take this time Um and that he could see me as not just somebody who you better hurry up and do the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you but, weren't just like brains and, you know, no, hands. You were a heart and a human. Yeah. Yeah. And I so that, that really, that really struck me. So what would you say are the returns on generosity, right? The title of this podcast. What do you see as the reciprocal nature of doing good things and kind yes. things? So that reciprocity word is so powerful. Um, I think that's it. It's the reciprocity. It's the, we're designed as humans to want to have the tribe survive. So we want to help others. Um, but I think we're conditioned, especially in the workplace to kind of hold back and only kind of stay in our lane. And so for me, I think the return on generosity is the impact that you have on the other person, um, whether it's an individual, whether it's a team, but like the ways you're able to pour into other people come out tenfold, right? Because it's, it's a ripple effect. Um, mm-hmm. The way you treat somebody 
that's positive and kind, then they're more likely to turn around and treat people in a positive, kind manner and going out of your way to help somebody in a project because it's going to take you five minutes and it's going to take them an hour. And you're like, you know, what? let me just sit with you and show you how to do it. They're going to do that with other people and also with you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to me, you start, it's a culture shift. You start creating a culture where generosity and kindness is embedded into the workplace. And so for, for me in my heart, that just Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like that's just the right thing to do. I don't know why people wouldn't do it. Um, And I'm not, you know, people are different. You know, I think uh, from a very business financial perspective of why that's a good thing is when people feel seen and cared for when they have, like, that's where they feel a sense of belonging. And as humans, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter race, gender, as humans, we have a fundamental need to belong to groups. And when we feel like we belong to groups, Mm-hmm. Our level of contribution is greater. So you're going to get a better output from an employee when they're feeling that sense of belonging, when they feel like others see them and care about them and are contributing to them and they're doing it to others. You'll have better output and you'll also have more creativity. I think that's a piece that gets overlooked that when there's this like flow of generosity and thoughtfulness and encouragement and accountability, I think that people can let their guards down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so now I don't have to worry as much about what somebody's going to say to me, which is freeing up brain power mm-hmm. to actually do my do job. Do my job and make a contribution, right? Yes. And I think that is such a great point. And you dug into that with Dr. Natalie Nixon on your podcast. So I'll put a link to that yes. in the show notes so people can learn even more about that because you you two went deep there and it was beautiful. But I think you're what you're t- touching on here and this whole being human, I've heard you say that a couple of times. I know you believe in that. What, what do you mean when you say that, Tanya? When you say being human and all of the benefits of that, what, what does that mean to you? You know, I think, um, I was going to say it as though other people think this and not me. Um, so let me, let me say, yeah how I was raised and what I have worked to overcome is the idea that when you get to the workplace, you turn yourself off and that you're just quote unquote professional. And so like when you enter the work doors, you're just professional. And that's how I was in my career for easily the first 10 years. I remember I worked at one job, people joked, how long is this was before people wore jeans at work. So, Mm -hmm. um, uh, they, the joke was, how long is Tanya going to be here before we ever see her in mm-hmm. jeans? Like, I just didn't. Um, he just didn't feel comfortable. You just didn't think that was a professional. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't professional. professional. Yeah. And so I was not going to do anything that was unprofessional, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually through kind of my own therapy and my own work experiences that I realized that we can't separate who we are in the world, (laughs) depending on our location, whether we're at the grocery store, whether we're at home, whether we're at Mm -hmm. work. And so I think the workplace, especially since I think the pandemic accelerated the recognition by people that there's not a separation of our our sense of self and Mm -hmm. being from the Mm -hmm. workplace. But before that, I think that was very much like leave your problems at home 
and just come and do the work. And so when I talk about being human, you know, a lot of people talk about authenticity and I'm thinking it's similar in that we are all human and we all have needs and desires and longings and um, ways of being and feelings and emotions and reactions that don't make us weak, Mm -hmm. but make us totally. And when we try to separate ourselves, you don't get a full, um, you don't get the full Mm -hmm. potential of people when they're at work. So true. And when you talked about how, you know, we all need to belong and we need that sense of community and safety and like that, that it's like a part of the human experience. And and then we yes. talked about the difference between like empathy and judgment, but like, because we're human, we, we do judge. And part of that is to keep us safe, but then we have to kind of know when it's too much and it's actually othering people and not creating community. Yes. Right. So like, all these nuances, which I think it, this is yes. why this kind of work is so fascinating because it's just so like intimate and, and, and it's so like familiar, right? Cause like when you talk about some of these things, I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally relate to that, but it's individualized cause it's that person's journey and situation. So I just think it's uh, just fascinating work that you do. So what, what would you want our listeners to, to learn? Tanya, what is something that you're like, here's something, a nugget or just something that I really want your listeners to walk away with? Um, I think it's about um, what is needed for it to be a win-win-win. So that's one of the philosophies at my company. It has to be a win for the client, a win for the team member, and a win for the business. And so I think that way of thinking kind of helps people from different perspectives understand, oh, what changes do we need to make so that we can deliver the best product or service to our Mm -hmm. clients? And most people have a diverse set of clients. And so how are you going to service a diverse set of clients in the best way? You need to have diverse people making the products and services, Mm -hmm. right? And then how are you treating your team because if they're not being treated well, they're not going to do the best right. work, right? And then the accountability piece, obviously, from a business standpoint, is making sure that things are moving yeah. along so that, <laughs> that things that things things can right. come in. Um, that's one thing I would love for your listeners to really kind of chew on. Uh, another thing I think in um, some of the things that I'm talking about, I think can be really uncomfortable because they're really unfamiliar mm. for people. And, you know, I, I think there's what I'm suggesting, the call of the way to be most impactful at work requires us to use skills that many of us were, including myself, were not taught mm-hmm. growing up. So our formative years at home and in, in schooling, many of us were not taught to understand how we're feeling and how, how we're feeling impacts our behavior and how our judgments and biases impact our behavior. Mm-hmm. We're not taught that. And so what I'm talking about is knowing yourself and knowing what biases you have, knowing what judgments you have, because when you know them, like you said, right, Shannon, then you can catch mm-hmm. it and then you can change it. Um, so a lot of this emotional intelligence work that, is really necessary for a healthy workplace 
are skills that we need to learn mm-hmm. as adults. And so I think there's got to be a lot of humility as adults of like, okay, mm-hmm. this is a skill set I wasn't yeah. taught. No shame mm-hmm. or blame. Fact. And now we need yeah. to learn it. <laughs> now we need to do it. Now we need to know how to be direct communicators, which does not mean just saying what's mm-hmm. on my mind. That's not direct communication. Yeah. That's right. Meant, right? <laughs> and being able to understand the difference. <laughs> Yeah. And like, what, how, what are some practical ways in which you would recommend people become more self-aware? I, th- I think that's the starting place. And I agree with you, emotional intelligence, and you have another episode on that, which I will also put in the show notes, because that is a whole other topic that we could talk about for a, a month. Mm-hmm. But for, mm-hmm. you know, just practically speaking, if you were coaching someone on how to develop their yes. emotional intelligence or their self-awareness, what would you, what would you recommend? So uh, the first thing it would be to, on a regular basis, check in with your body to know how it feels. Um, And I would want to explain why, because that might sound strange to some people, because often we don't know what our emotions and feelings are. So if I say, tell me how you feel, you might not know. But if you can tell me where you're feeling energy in your body, then you might be able to say, oh, I feel tension in my shoulders or... My, my knee hurts or my stomach feels unsettled, mm-hmm. right? So get into the practice of, well, I say do a body scan, like head to toe, just like kind of think through your forehead, eyes, nose, all the way down to your toes. Um, and on a regular basis, so the more often you do it, the quicker you will master it. So every time you get something to eat, every time you have to use the restroom, like pair it with something that you're doing mm-hmm. frequently. And that's a great way to practice it. And as you get into the habit of seeing what is in your body, then you start asking yourself, well, why am I feeling like I'm not hungry? Why is my stomach unsettled? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I feeling? Did something just happen? Did I just have a conversation? Did I just speak to somebody that I'm unsettled about? So then you start questioning yourself, Mm -hmm. right? In a curious way, not judging way. Like really like investigate Mm -hmm. it. Um, And then practice as comfortable as you are, practice speaking it out loud or writing, journaling, typing, whatever works mm-hmm. for you. Um, but the process of raising your own self-awareness to your own emotions, to understanding where they're coming mm. from, and then being able to communicate it. So you could do it with a friend, with a colleague, mm-hmm. um, with a therapist. It doesn't have to be formal therapy, anybody. My point is, is it like start having conversations with somebody that you yeah. trust about what you're realizing about your body and your emotions. Mm -hmm. So when you can do that, when things are pretty stable and steady, not a lot going on, that's the best time to learn. Because then when things are really going Mm -hmm. on, (laughs) you're going to have, you're going to have the skill set practice. And can I just like quickly say the way that translates to the workplace. So when you are practicing those skills on your own and then you're in a meeting and somebody says something and all, everybody goes quiet and your stomach is tight in knots. You realize, oh, my stomach hurts because I realize everybody's upset mm-hmm. or I think everybody's upset. And what I do when my stomach is in knots is I've learned to breathe through it. So I'm going to sit in this meeting and I'm going to take some deep breaths because I know that that has helped mm-hmm. me. And now if I'm a leader, I can say, 
oh, you know what? I'm noticing everybody just got quiet from that comment. I'm not really sure what to say next, folks, but I wanted to call it out and see if we wanted to talk more mm-hmm. about it. As a leader, you don't have to always know yeah. it, but if you are in tuned enough with yourself, what you end up doing is pausing in those critical moments and give voice to what is seemingly invisible, mm-hmm. which people appreciate as opposed to skipping over it. And then all that water cooler talk is about how you didn't say anything right. in the moment. Yes. And that's why when you said that this is uncomfortable work and it's a call to action and, you know, like one of your core values is courage. So for our listeners mm-hmm. to think about how can you call mm-hmm. on your own courage and say something when it's awkward like that and not just fill in the void with some other topic or, you know, make it go away. Rather, you know, there's a reason why everyone went quiet. You know, what is that all about? And I think to your point about practicing when the stakes are low so that you mm-hmm. have the tools and the kind of the the good habits that you could use when the stakes are high, That that's really great counsel. So I think... For everyone listening, that let's let's start there. Let let's let's start to do the body scan to pay attention to where we're feeling yes. tension, and then that curiosity and wonder about. Hmm, I wonder what's causing me to feel like that. I just love that idea of doing the scan, just a practical way for us to get more in tune with ourselves, yes. and to know that that has an f- impact on our emotional intelligence, which enables us to be effective leaders and really human exactly. beings. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that is what it happens, right? We're better at work, but we're better at home. Like it's better yes. and, and it feels better. Excellent. So for people who are just listening to this audio only, where can they find you and more information about you? Yes, they can get all of my information at theladipagroup.com. Yes, talk full. And there's links to her podcast and other videos that she has created and her social media links, which I totally recommend everybody follow. Just thank you for who you are, Tanya. I appreciate our friendship and just the countless ways that you make a difference. Thank you so much. This has been an honor. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.